change agent. The change agent is the title of today's message. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit changes us. So if you got your Bibles or you got your notes, go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we'll begin today. And uh, this is uh, after Jesus resurrected from the dead. For the next 40 days, he would kind of pop in and around uh, the town, visiting people, introducing himself to people. Come on, how many know when Jesus rises from the dead and he meets you? Little, that's awesome. <laughs> and so I want to I show you one instance of where he, and he meets his disciples for the first time. And it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind. What's those two words? That's a, that's a real key part here, okay? They were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, who shows up? Jesus. Does anybody else not find that absolutely hilarious? I would have wet myself right there. Which is why the first words that Jesus says when he's standing in front of them is, peace be with you. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm about to be at peace with you. Okay, and so he says, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. It's me, guys. And they were filled with joy. And when they saw the Lord again, he said, peace be with you. Now look at verse 22. And as the Father had sent me, so I am going to send you. And then he breathed. Remember like what we were talking about in week one? On them. And he said, receive what? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is what you need to understand. So I'm going to teach real quick. I, I just got to lay some foundations, and then we're going to get into the message. But uh, there is actual three baptisms that you and I experience, should experience, in our relationship with God. The first one is the baptism into Jesus. This is actually the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. That's salvation. The moment that you raise your hand or the moment you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life and I give my life to him. That is the first baptism. It's the Holy Spirit introducing you to Jesus. You surrender your life to Jesus. For many of you, you've done that for the first time this year. God is introducing you to who Jesus is. That's the first one. Actually, John chapter 20, this one, where Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, is actually their salvation. Well, you say, well, aren't the disciples saved? I mean, they've been with Jesus for three years. Wouldn't they be saved? They've been with Jesus for three years, but they couldn't experience salvation because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. Now Jesus had already gone to the cross. He'd already risen from the dead. So now they could fully experience what salvation was like. John 20 is their salvation experience. They receive the Holy Spirit. Hey, which by the way, I just want to let you know that when you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, you have the Holy Spirit. Some people will teach you that you don't have the Holy Spirit or there's other things that are going to happen. No, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you the moment you give your heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit resides in you. The next type of baptism, though, is water baptism. And I'll actually show you in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, it says, And Jesus commanded them, Don't leave Jerusalem, guys, until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptizes with what? Okay, so the guys are saved. They've received the Holy Spirit in John 20. Okay, they're saved. Now they're going to see that there's a second baptism, which is the baptism of water. We celebrated that just a couple weeks ago with dozens of people getting water baptized, going public with their faith, but there's a third baptism. Okay, so they've received the Holy Spirit in John 20, but Jesus tells them they need to wait in Jerusalem. What do they need to wait? They got everything, right? Wrong. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Notice, this is future tense. 
Well, I thought they already received the Holy Spirit. They did. The Holy Spirit lives in them. But there's a third baptism, and it's actually in verse 8 that you see the words. So look in verse 8, and it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes what? Upon you. Okay, so let again, stay with me for a minute, and we'll get to the preaching side. Okay, so when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you, in, inside of you, lives on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is a public declaration of what God's done in you. But then Jesus says, hey, guys, that's not enough. You also need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is on you, upon you. And so he tells them, guys, listen, you need to wait. I know you've received the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's going to come in a new and a fresh way, and you're going to receive power when he does that. So, okay, we say all that to say, well, what, well what's the big deal? Well, it's a very big deal, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes today to see you, to hear you, and to experience you in a fresh and new way today, God. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we're here today. And God, we thank you that LSU won yesterday in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Bro, you better give thanks because they'll start losing, okay? Better give thanks. Better give thanks. How many of you are, are what I would describe as a hype person? Y'all know a hype person? A person that when you experience something, you're hyped up about it and you make sure that everybody else knows about it? Y'all know any hype people? Who's a hype person in here? As soon as you experience something, you want to, I can be a, tend to be a hyped up person. My wife is a hyped up person. If it's something that she really likes, she's a hyped up person. When we're out and we're, we're trying to figure out where to go and eat, she'll say things like, baby, they say this place is awesome. And of course, my, my question is, who's Who's they? Yeah, you always wonder who that is. I always wonder who they is. Who is they? And she's like, you know, they. They said. You know what they is? They's Facebook. That is who they is. Just to clarify all that for all of you. That is who they is, okay? But anyway, she's a hype that she, she, she enjoys something, you know, that she's going to let everybody know about it, whether it's a movie or a book or a food or whatever. Y'all know people like that? And y'all like that? When you, when you go to a restaurant, it's just, man, this place is awesome. And you go there. How you met a hyped up person and they hype up a situation or hype up a restaurant and you go there and it doesn't deliver? Any of y'all been there? You're like all pumped and excited. You go in and you eat and you're like, that was terrible. That was terrible. Then you call them back and you're like, you lied to me. You owe me a refund. You need to give me, you know what, y'all know <laughs> where they, they overhype and overpromise something and then it under delivers. That's the worst. That's the worst. But I love Jesus because Jesus is a natural hype person. The things that he gets hyped about, the things that Jesus always tells people that he's hyped about, always delivers. And so in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is hyping up the Holy Spirit. He's saying things like, guys, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. I'm telling you guys, when, when he comes, he's going to be a comforter, and he's going to lead you, and he's going to guide you. I mean, he is just hyping the Holy Spirit up. And I, if I'm a disciple, and I've been hanging out with Jesus for three years, I'd be like, yeah, right, Jesus. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you telling me this guy's better than you? Yeah, right. Can he do like the walking on water thing? Can he do that? Can he do like the water into wine thing? Can he do that? And then Jesus is like, listen, I'm telling you, when you receive this guy, I'm telling you, he is way better than me. Because this is what Jesus knew, that the Holy Spirit inside of you was better than Jesus beside you. Because Jesus knew this, that before his death, burial, and resurrection, he was one man. He could be with one people in one place at one time. But as soon as he would die and the Holy Spirit would come and resurrect him out of the grave, 
He knew that his Holy Spirit now would be unleashed on the earth and he could be at all places with all people at all times. And how exciting was that for Jesus to know that the same power that rose in him could now be filled in other people. So of course he's naturally hyped. He's so excited about it. He realized that he couldn't do what he did without the Holy Spirit. And he was telling his guys, guys, listen, wait in Jerusalem. Wait here. I'm telling you, he's going to be awesome. He's going to just wait. He's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to come on you. And you're going to experience power like you've never experienced before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the number one change agent in your life. And the Holy Spirit's primary job is to change you into becoming more like Jesus. He also empowers you to live on mission. But his number one is to make you more and more like Jesus. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. So God knew, listen guys, I'm glad you got me, but I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. But listen, my helper, the Holy Spirit, he's gonna come and he's gonna remind you, he's gonna teach you, he's gonna do all these things and you need him. So let's talk about the five ways the Holy Spirit changes us. If he is our ultimate change agent, then how does he change us? How many in here have a job and you work a night shift at times? Any, any people have night shifts? Yeah, you're the ones asleep. Okay, so anyways, the, my dad was a, was a night shift type of guy. I'd come home from school, uh, come home from baseball or basketball practice. We'd eat dinner together and then he'd go to work. And then, and then when I would get up and go to school, he was coming home from work. It was just what we were doing. And, and that was the life that we lived for such a long time. Night, nighttime and daytime. You got the night shift and the work shift. And, and the cool thing about God, though, is God works both shifts. The Holy Spirit is always working. He's got the day shift. He's got the night shift. He's always working. I'm glad God don't sleep. He's always working. And he's always working in your life constantly. He's always moving. He's always speaking. He's always working. He works the day shift. He works the night shift. He's always working. And he's always working to change us. Well, how does he change us? Number one, I'm glad you're asking these questions. Number one says this, he reminds us. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives to change us, is he reminds us. John 14, 26 says this, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. And he will, what's that word? He will remind you of everything that I have told you. How many in here are forgetful people? Let's just be honest in here. Some of y'all forgot to raise your hands. Okay, forgetful people in here. How many forgot an anniversary? Confession's good for the soul right now. Okay, go ahead. How many have forgot a birthday? Any birthday forgetters in here? How many forget, forget names? How many are terrible with names? Yeah, okay, everybody in here. I, I don't even know your name. I made y'all turn around and ask people for their name. You don't even know who's turning around. But Okay, how many, let's be honest here. How many have forgot a kid? Anybody in here forgot a kid? Okay, one person in here is bold enough in here. Okay, a couple months ago, Josiah, who's my oldest, I, I am, uh, me and him are constantly uh, driving to church on at 9 a.m. He comes with me, he serves in the kids at 9, and then comes, sits in the 1045. And so uh, one, one Sunday, I went in and woke him up, and he was like, Dad, can I just go with Mom? I'm like, sure, no problem, no problem. And so I, I left him. I didn't tell Lindsay. So she's doing all her normal things and getting ready, and she goes in his room. I don't even know what you went in there for. Okay, that's right. So she went in there, and she goes to flip on the light, and all of a sudden, a body moves and freaks her out. <laughs> freaks her out. Freaks her out. She was like, I almost forgot our child, but I didn't forget it because you forgot to tell me that there was an actual another child here. 
I've forgotten children before. I've forgotten them often. But they, we, we, we have a tendency. How many of you know we have a tendency at times to forget the things that matter the most and remember the things that matter the least? Anybody here know? How many of you know you can remember things that don't matter? And then the things that really do matter, you always remember them. So I, I, there's just things in my life that I can remember that just make no sense at all, don't matter. Anybody in here, you're really, really good with learning music lyrics. Anybody in here, like you're really good, like a song comes on and you can start remembering. It can be from the 80s, 90s. You need to hang out with my wife. My wife is a musical jukebox. Oh, you don't believe me? Take a bow, babe. You just need to go ahead and take a bow. She might be white, but don't let that fool you one bit. That girl can throw down. <clears throat> she, can, she can remember. Any wives in here have the ability to remember things like a vault? Especially, she's got the incredible memory to remember everything that I have done that has not been right. There's a vault for it. Wives, how many, there's a special vault for that. She'd pull it out and she'd be like, you're wearing a blue shirt and you told me that you did not want to do this and you're not. I don't even remember that. I don't even know. Yeah, of course you don't. I remember it for you. So, okay, Holy Spirit. Um, but we have Holy Spirits in our lives, not our wives, an actual Holy Spirit in our lives that reminds us of what God has done for us. And, and it, it is true. As you get older, your memory can begin to naturally, you know, progressively get worse. But the, the same is true for us spiritually, that actually as we journey with Jesus for some time, we can begin to forget all that God has done for us. We can forget that we prayed and prayed and prayed and pleaded with God for that job and he gave us that job and now we don't want that job anymore. And we forget that that's what we prayed for. We can forget how we prayed for that spouse and that's not the spouse we want anymore. We can forget how we couldn't make it financially and God somehow just came and provided supernaturally. And then, and then the next moment comes and we're financially hurting and we forget how God provided the last time. Are y'all with me here? And, 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 and I wrote this down. When you forget what Jesus has done for you, you will lose faith in what he can do for you. When you forget what Jesus has done for you, you will lose faith in what he can do for you. I would encourage you, to, as God does things in your life, write it down. Write it down. One of the things I love, I do love about Facebook is every, every morning if I wake up and pull up the Facebook app, one of the first things that's on the front is called On This Day. Y'all have y'all seen the On This Day where you can go back and look at everything that happened on that day in the years previous. So this morning, actually, I'm getting ready, ironing my shirt and stuff, and Lindsay's, Lindsay's watching a video of Joel, our youngest, when he was like one or two years old doing knock-knock jokes. And we're just laughing, and it's a fun thing. We look back and see all the memories of how our kids have grown up, and we can see things that we've done, where God's brought us from. How many of you know the Holy Spirit can also be that for you? He can be an on-this-day type of God. Where you say, Holy Spirit, I just, just remind me, help me to remember what you've done. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that he has done for you. And this is his 
job is to remind you of who you are. Number two is he helps. He helps. How many of you have people problems, temper problems, addiction problems, financial problems, parenting problems? Anybody here got problems? Six of you. Anybody else want to be honest in here? How many got lying problems? All right. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, you need some help. <clears throat> Here's, you've been wanting to tell them that for a while. Okay, so. Here's the truth. Jesus knew that you and I could not live the Christian life on our own. He knew that you and I would need some help. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. Let me, let me show you. Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. So when you're in moments of weakness, understand that the Holy Spirit desires to come upon you to give you a supernatural help that you can't have on your own. This is what he does. I remember in high school when I would work out in high school, our coach would always require us to have what's called a spotter. You'd always have to have a guy that you work out with, whether you're doing bench press or squatting. You know, you'd have to have somebody there that is watching you and, and can bail you out if you're about to kill yourself because you think you're all macho. And I remember multiple times where I would be you know, lifting weights and coming to the end of just complete burnout and exhaustion. And you're like, help! And you know, they come in and they step in and you know, they're, they're trying to lift it for you and, and you're pushing and it, and it seems like you're pushing a lot, but the truth is they probably have more weight than you do and they're kind of picking it up and putting it back on. The Holy Spirit is a lot like that in a lot of ways is when we get to kind of the end of our rope and we cry out, God help, that the Holy Spirit comes in and he's a spotter and he lifts the areas where we just can't do it anymore. Anybody in here, it's summertime and your kids are going a little crazy and you're like, help. Oh, it's only my family. Okay. All right. So, all this one's in here. How many of you know that you can ask the Holy Spirit for help when it comes to parenting? Anybody got teenagers or older kids in here and you're asking the Holy Spirit, God, you deal with them. Okay? The Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Maybe you got addictions and you've been trying to battle this addiction for so long. The Holy Spirit will help not only you break the addiction, but for you to live victoriously so you can stay away from those addictions constantly. I loved it. I got, a, I got a message actually this morning from a girl. I don't even know if she's here. Um, it was a story that was submitted into our app that, that was a girl that's been on drugs for years and years and years. She just got into heroin and it, it got into some su supreme stuff. Um, came to church, got her life right with Jesus and has been two months clean. I was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And there's many of you that have stories that are like that of God just delivering you because the Holy Spirit is a helper. Hey, he wants to help. Here's the thing, though, about the Holy Spirit. He is a gentleman, just like God is. He's a gentleman. He never goes anywhere he's not invited. So the Holy Spirit only helps people who ask for it. And so, you know, you hear people all the time like, man, nobody helps me out. And the question that I ask them all the time is, well, who did you ask? And oftentimes, People don't ask. They just assume they think everybody else should just see it and know it. But that's not the case all the time. You've got to ask for it. And the Bible says that if you ask for it, he'll step in. So if your marriage is broken and you need some help, ask. Ask people and ask the Holy Spirit. And with the combination of both of those, you'll get the help that you really need. Here's number three. He transforms. He transforms. This is the greatest news. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you. God is working in you. He's doing it. Even when you don't care for him, he's still working in you. He's always working in you, on you, and through you. But I want you to hear me. He's working in you. And oftentimes when there's a situation that we want to change, we try to change it from the outside, but it doesn't always work that way. You know, growing up, I, I had a very simple palate when it came to food. I liked, like, you know, the basic food groups, chicken nuggets, Hot Pockets, grilled cheese, you know, the basic food groups, the ones that have the most vitamins and nutrients. And so, Dr. Pepper, don't, don't forget that one, and Flaming Hot Cheetos. And so, um, that, was, that was kind of, I, you know, I was a pretty basic type of guy. One of the things I hated growing up is I hated Chinese food. Hated it. I didn't like Chinese food. I, I just I despised Chinese food. And I could force myself to, to eat it. You know, I have to eat it. If my mom cooked it, my mom's here, by the way. Come on, give it up for my mom. She I love you, mom. Um, and so when my mom would cook something, you know how moms are. I mean, you got to eat it, right? You eat it or you just don't eat. You just go to bed. And so, so you got to eat, you know, you just eat it if you got to eat it. And, and if you have to, I have to. But something happened in my 20s. I don't know what it was. But something happened where actually my taste buds changed. And I actually began to crave Chinese food. And actually, I really enjoy it now. I P.F. Chang's and General Walk. And I mean, I love Chinese food. Um, I, I eat it up now and, and I enjoy it. But what happened was, it wasn't that I willed myself to do it. My taste buds actually changed. I wanted it more. There's foods now that I did not eat back in the day that now I, I desire and I like. Literally, my taste buds have made a change in that. I mean, when your kids say, I don't want to eat that, you say, well, I'm going to make your taste buds change. Anybody here? <laughs> so, but they have. And, and, the, and I believe that parallels also spiritually. How many of you went to church growing up because you had to? Like, you didn't have a choice. You had to. Yeah. How did that go for you? Yeah, you probably ran from church, right? As soon as you got the option to get out of church, you didn't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Because you had to. It was a have to. Here's the great thing about this verse. It says that God is working in you to change your have to to a want to. He is transforming you from the inside out. He's changing it from a have to to a want to. How many of you come to church now because you want to? Everybody better raise their hand in here. Okay, everybody. You want to. You want to. The Holy Spirit doesn't compel you to do what is right. He gives you a love for what is right so that it isn't something you naturally want to do. Listen. When it comes to kissing my wife, eating a steak, taking a nap, those aren't things I have to do. I want to do those things. Are y'all with me here? Like, you don't have to force me to do it. Hey, kiss your wife. No. Okay. All right. Can I touch her too? Can I? I mean, I, you know, I want to. I want to. I don't have to. I'm just telling you today that your relationship with God should never be a have to. Religion will tell you you have to. God will tell you you want to. Because God's going to make it so enticing for you that you want to do it. He's going to show you who he is, which actually leads into number four, which is he convicts. He convicts. Uh, John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so when we hear this word convict, we kind of get a little uptight, like, oh, God, I, I really don't like that. Don't like that God convicts us. Well, I'm sorry, that's a part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. 
said he brings conviction, but he does it way differently than what you probably think of. See, uh, it was funny. I was in the hallway after the 9 a.m. service, and I was sitting down with a, uh, not sitting, I was standing talking to a guy who's, who's not from here, and he was here, and, and he said, you know, he said, this church is so different. He said, I said, well, how is that? He said, well, growing up in church, I was always preached at. I was always preached at. Like I was always told what I had to do and what I should do. And, and, and it was almost like I had never met the bar of where their things were. I, I, I was never good enough. And I always left feeling less about myself. I said, well, that, that, that's a problem because their way of conviction was actually condemnation. It's what the enemy uses. God's conviction is way different though. See, because God doesn't use conviction. He doesn't use your shame to bring conviction. He doesn't say, look at what you did and then to bring conviction to make you change. You know what he does? He actually shows you how good God is and it makes you wanna change. He comes in and he says, look how beautiful this is. So this is, look at the three areas where he convicts us. With sin. So we have sin in our lives and, and literally what God brings the conviction to say, you know what, sin's stupid. I mean, it's just, it doesn't lead you anywhere good. It's, it's only going to lead you to bad places. Righteousness. He's going to show you that not only is sin stupid, but that Jesus is beautiful, that his righteousness is the best, and that God, when he went to the cross and rose again, and you believe in him, he gave you his righteousness. So now you're righteous. So he's pretty much convicting you by showing you this isn't you anymore. You're not an addict. Don't say that you are anymore. You are a child of God and a saint of God. You're a man of God. Come, y'all with me here? You are righteous in his sight. Judgment. He's just reminding us that one day we will, get an, we will take an account for every word that we said, for every deed that we did. There is going to be a judgment that comes one day. And so he brings his conviction by telling us how silly and stupid sin is, how beautiful Jesus is, and how soon judgment is coming. And hopefully when you get all three of those and the Holy Spirit does a work in you, it will change you. How many of you have just gone through seasons of your life where you just don't care anymore? Anybody? Let's just be honest. You're like, I, don't, I know it's wrong, and I still do it anyways. I just don't care. I just want to do what I want to do. Well, in those moments, you should pray, God, help me to be convicted of the way that I'm living. Help me to see this sin the way that you see it. Help me to have a disdain for it. Help me to not want to be that. I don't want to be that. Paul even said in Romans, I don't do the things that I know I should be doing, and I keep doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. Anybody feel like that describes your life? Every time I keep taking steps, it feels like I'm taking two steps forward and three steps back. Well, the Holy Spirit will help you because God isn't going to reveal anything. He's not willing to heal. So how many of you know the Holy Spirit is very spot on when he wants to deal with you about something? He like speaks to you very specifically. Like I want to deal with that anger issue. Or I want to deal with that lust or I want to deal with that whatever it is, or that pride or that insecurity. I want to deal with that. And he does. And he speaks. Even now for some of you, he's speaking. For some of you, he's been speaking for a long time. But this is what the Holy Spirit does when he comes on us. He begins to convict. And here's number five. The last one is he empowers he empowers. So at the, at, at the trial of Jesus, Peter, we know Peter is known for denying Jesus three times. One of the times that he denied Jesus was to a little girl. <laughs> little girl said, wait, you're Peter. You're following Jesus. He's like, I don't know you. And he curses her. Well, you fast forward 50 days. 
and he's standing up and he preaches in front of 3,000, actually thousands of people, more than 3,000, but 3,000 people that day get saved. And he's standing in front of the same people that he used to be scared of. What happened? What happened between the day that he denied Jesus to a little girl, 50 days later, he's preaching to all of the people that he denied Jesus to. What happened in those 50 days? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that happened that was different. And when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he received a power and a boldness he had never had in his life. Same was with the disciples. We see that all throughout scripture. And the Holy Spirit will turn people spiritually, normal people, into supernatural people. Let me show you one and then we're going to wrap it up. Acts chapter 7. This is a story of Stephen. Stephen was a regular guy. I want you all to hear me in this. He's not a, an apostle. He's not some super Christian. He wasn't a, a Jewish leader. He was just a regular guy. And he has this moment with God. He's, he, he, he gets a moment to preach. He preaches. Everybody hates what he preaches. And they want to kill him. And so the people that are leading this charge are actually the Jewish leaders. They absolutely hate what he said. And so it says, when the Jewish leaders heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, now this is a huge part that the Bible puts in there. What does it say? Full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. Now watch this. Jesus is what? Okay, if you have your notes, I want you to highlight that or circle or whatever. He's standing. I'm going to come back to that. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, why is this so significant? Stephen is outside of the city. Everybody's surrounded around him, and everybody's calling him a heretic. Everybody's calling him a liar. Everybody's saying, you're going to die. And they're literally about to stone him. He's in the middle of the stoning process, and he looks up, and he sees God. He sees God the Father, but he sees Jesus. And Jesus is doing something that you don't see anywhere else in Scripture. He's standing. See, in those days, or in the New Testament, when it describes Jesus, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But in this moment, Jesus got up. It was almost as if what was happening was the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and all the people that were stoning him were going, you are a liar and you are a heretic and you are this. And God, the, or God the Son, Jesus, is standing up and going, he's mine. He is mine. He's right on. Keep doing it. He's, he is accepting him. He's validating him. And in that moment, as, as Jesus is validating Stephen, he's being crushed by rocks on his body and eventually on his face and eventually kills him. And so a man who stands in the midst of persecution and says, I see Jesus and he's standing and I give glory to God. This is what it means to be a man full of the spirit. I, let me put it in a different way. So a couple of verses after you find out a very, very significant moment. After Stephen is stoned and killed, they turn in Stephen's clothes to one man. You know who that man is? Saul. Saul is there at this stoning. Well, if you don't know who Saul is, he changed his name after he met Jesus. You know what his new name is? Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was the greatest missionary and apostle in all of the world. And the one moment that changed his life the most was when he watched a man 
give praise to Jesus as he's getting stoned. Which begs to ask the question, could the Holy Spirit be allowing you to be in the pain that you're in and the problems that you're going through because he's using it as a testimony for other people that are watching? I'm just asking. You know, Lindsay and I, as we've walked through the journey that we have with Joel, and praise God, he's in such an incredible place that he is now. The first three years were hell and dark, and we didn't know what was going on. And can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit used us more in those three years than he's ever in the history of my life. And it was the most painful of my life. And so what you're trying to pray and ask God to take away is maybe the one thing that God's trying to use for his glory. Are y'all with me? I know we don't like messages like that because we like comfort and blessing and prosperity. But can I tell you that sometimes God uses the worst pain in our lives for his greatest glory and your greatest good. And so that death, that tragedy, that divorce, that debt, that failure, that lost job, that lost child, that lost, all of those things, God never wastes pain. He never wastes pain. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit is actually usually working more than you even realize it. And so today, I want you to realize that he empowers you. He gives you a boldness and a power. So the question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit, but does he have you? We know you have it. If you're saved and you've given your life to the Lord, then we know you have the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. Question is, does he come upon you, though? Does he live on you in such a way that your life is transformed and changed. Okay, well, how do we get that? Let me give you a couple of things. One, remove all barriers. Remove all barriers. We kind of talked a little bit about this in week one, about going all in. The truth is, is God has more steps for you. We're all on a journey. All of us. I love that in this church, we have people all in different journeys. Some of you don't know God. Some of you are skeptics, and I'm glad, so glad you're here. Some of you just given your heart to the Lord. Some of you are veterans, and you've been knowing the God for decades, but we're all on, we all got steps. I have steps that I'm continually taking in my journey to Jesus. We're all taking these steps together, and the only thing that will get in the way of you taking steps with God is a barrier, is a barrier. Maybe there's, your marriage is, is struggling right now and you need some, and there's something in the way. You gotta remove the barrier. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus, but there's something in the way. You gotta remove the barrier. If you want all that God has for you, you've gotta remove all barriers. Acts 2.38 says this, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will, this is a promise, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe for you it's a repentance of, God, I've done things my way. God, I need to turn my heart to you. Number two, request his presence. Request his presence. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want, I want you to notice this. So he is comparing you and I to children. He says, if you're evil and you're a good father and you give good gifts to your kids, well, here's God the father and he wants to give good gifts to his children, meaning that we are the children. So there's two things I want you to understand here. Number one, God relates to you and I as kids. We're his kids. We're his children. And how many of you know your children desperately need you? 
So last night, Lindsay was gone for about four or five hours, and my boys asked me about 6,000 questions. I think maybe I'm actually minimizing it. It might have been a little bit more. I'm like, dear goodness, what's going on here? And they're like, well, we normally ask mom. I'm like, I'm praying for your mother. <laughs> how many of you know how many mamas in here? Your children need you. Okay? Parents, your, your children need you desperately. They need your money. They need your food. They need your money. They need some more food. <laughs> they, right? Y'all with me? They need your money. Okay, so this is what they need, all right? Uh, at least what they think they need. The same as your kids desperately needing you, you need to realize how much you desperately need God. And we get into problems when we wake up every morning and don't acknowledge that we need God because we think we got it going on. And so this verse reminds us, like, you have a father and you need him. The other thing I hope you really, really, really understand, though, is how much God is a great father and he wants to give you really, really good gifts. And this verse says that God wants to give you a really, really good gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I pray every day, God, thank you today for this day. Thank you for the gifts that I have. Thank you for giving me breath in my lungs. I need you today more than ever. God, everything that you have for me today, give it to me. Give it to me. So we're going to request his presence. And number three, we're going to receive him daily. Receive him daily. Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. This word filled actually means to be intoxicated or immersed. That's why it's actually giving the, the uh, contrast of it to being drunk on wine. How many of you have seen anybody drunk? Who went to regatta? Um, let's see. Okay. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. All right. So <clears throat> you've seen it, right? Maybe you experienced it. When you're drunk, it affects everything. It affects the way you walk. affects the way you talk. affects, affects your, I mean, it affects everything. It affects everything. And, 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 and listen to me very closely. What, what, what he's actually saying is, he's not actually coming down on drinking per se. What he's actually saying is, listen, you're going to try to find some kind of supernatural experience in your life, and you're going to try to find it normally through alcohol. But I'm telling you, there's a supernatural experience that you have to have where you don't have to throw up on the toilet. It's an actual really good one that you can be used to make a difference in the world called being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is the call that God is calling us to, that when you experience the, the Holy Spirit, it affects everything. How do you know when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it affects everything? It affects the way you talk. You walk differently. You, you, you do things differently now because the Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. But this word, be filled, throw that back up there, Ephesians 5, if you can. Be filled literally means to be filled continually. To be filled continually. Let me show you what this is in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we, we know that these guys are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. We talked about that in week 2. But watch what happens here. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were what? Everybody say it. All filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait, time out. I thought they were already filled in Acts chapter 2. 
Why again? It's because you constantly need more of him. They were going through a situation right here where they were being persecuted. And so they said, God, you filled us two chapters ago. I don't know if they said it like that. <laughs> two chapters ago, you filled us. Could you fill us again? We're in chapter four now. Could you fill us again? But they, they realized, like, we need him more now than ever. That's why being filled with the Spirit is not just one. I, listen, we can pray for you right here, and we will. We'll pray for you. And God can fill you. But how many know tomorrow you're going to need to be filled again? How many know we leak? Like, we leak. Tomorrow you're going to need them. Tuesday you're going to need them. Wednesday you're definitely going to need them. Okay, you're going to need them every day. And so they said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. 